so the villagers kill them all on my command Five. a long time ago in a galaxy far far away this is the story of star wars you can read along with me in your book o is for obi-wan kenobi all rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack princess leia addressed them obi-wan never told you what happened to your father he told me enough he told me you killed him no i am your father hello I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers book podcast, where we discuss all things canon. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is stronger than General Leia wearing Phasma's armor, whooping up on some frownies. It's Lindsay. Whew, and it's so topical, too. You know, I tried... I tried. I got a new Leia phone case, so I'm in a very Leia mood right now. So you'll have to send me a picture. I want to see that. I will. It's my very phone cool. Case, it's kind of comic-y. My phone case is a Porg inside BB-8, like it's a submarine, and he's controlling BB-8. I love that picture so much. Oh my god! So good. That's great. Yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of cool. It's got it's very reminiscent of like. Um, the, the art style that's on, like, World War II bombers, you know, with, like, kind of the, the bombshell girl, but in a very, like, Leia Hut Slayer kind of way. Like, Ooh, it's not like that. it's not sexualized, but at the, sa- like, at the same time, you know, like, she could sit down and have a nice dinner with you and then also point a gun at your face and take your armor like she would to Phasma. That would be such a... That's a matchup right there. Leia from the original trilogy versus Phasma. Wow. My right. money might even be on Phasma at that one. I'm biased. I'm going with Leia, but I pretty much pick Leia on everything. So that's what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> so so what, what's going on with you? What are you reading? What are you into lately? You know, I am now one week out from Celebration. Ooh. We're recording this the Wednesday before April 3rd. So this time next week, I will be landed in Chicago and getting ready. So I feel like every single day as they're making more announcements, I'm kind of just like running to the computer, checking my schedule. If that's, you know, a panel I can make, or if that's a a talk that I can go to an autograph I can get and just making sure that I have a, everything lined up that I need to. What's your, your big three things. Let's say like lottery, you can get whatever you want. Big three things that you want to hit at celebration. So I'm one of the lucky ones who have the VIP pass. So I get to go to all of the panels and sit right in those designated sections. So my big three, obviously the episode nine panel, that's going to be a big one. I would go with for my other two. I'm really looking forward to the Mandalorian. So I'll include that panel as well. Other than that, I'm kind of torn between right now if it is more of the gaming stuff, like Vader Immortal, Jedi Fallen Order, not because I'm a big gamer, but just because I really like the stories that we get in those games, or I get, I have a um, 
photo pass with Sam Witwer. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that my, I, I got his autograph in Orlando, but this year I was like, I, I need proof of it. That I, <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't just order it on eBay. Yeah, that I can. I want to put my face in his right on my nightstand and just wake up every morning to me and Sam Whitworth. That's got to be your phone wallpaper then. Mm. Like you have to do that. Absolutely. Sorry, nephews, you've been replaced. I mean, really replaced? Was he? He he was always on top. Let's be honest. Um, man, now I'm just. I'm just (laughs) I'm thinking about how cool it would be to meet Sam Whitworth. So. For me, like I'm at a weird spot with the episode nine panel because you're I, avoiding. Well, I'm avoiding everything except for the title, just because I think it's kind of would be that's kind of unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sure I'll end up on Twitter getting some stills here and there. Like I remember, um, I saw the still of Kylo uh, looking out as they're building the the walkers and everything before he has his second. Uh, force vision with Ray and little things like that, but out of context, they don't really mean much. And once I see him, I just kind of scroll past him. So, other than that, like it's gonna be, it's just gonna be like an hour of them going like, "Yeah, filming was great. It was a lot of fun. We're gonna miss everybody to get to the I trailer." I can't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it just because, like, I'm an addict and I need a fix. Uh, that's just the blunt way of putting it but yeah then like the trailer i'm gonna avoid altogether um which is kind of weird because there's a part of me that wants to watch it just to see them reveal the name you know because they're gonna yeah, do it at the I'm trailer curious about how they're gonna do it i think is it's it gonna... gonna be that you know avengers style where it's just fading in at the end or yeah. are they gonna show us in a poster beforehand i think it fades in at the end i th- i think you do like the the fade in and then just like a bump and you have December on there or something like that or Christmas or whatever uh, to close that out. I, I think that makes the most sense. I think also like if they were worried about like, hmm, does this work? You know, in a weird way, Endgame was a good way to test it out, you know, because mm-hmm. Infinity War left you on such a cliffhanger. Like you're going to see Endgame. I mean, Endgame is going to make at least what Infinity War made possibly more like they've already i think they already beat the record for tickets sold and projections for first weekends it's ridiculous um how many they've sold already so you know that got a good buzz going on there um outside of that like the the thing i like about celebration nowadays is you at least get to see the panels and stuff sometimes i have to wait most of the time though I can get them within that first weekend, a couple I have to catch up on during the week. But it's weird because in the past, there's always been stuff I'm invested in already, like uh, like Clone Wars review panels or Rebels panels and things like that that I'm really looking forward to. And this year, there's just a whole lot of new stuff. So in a weird way, I'm not looking forward to anything. I'm looking forward to looking forward to stuff. Like, yes, you know that's a good way to put it. I'm I mean, I know for it. Orlando, I was able to go to. I did VIP for that one as well, so I got into the, all the panels. So it was, you know, the 40th anniversary, Last Jedi. They had a great like woman in Star Wars. They had a Rebels panel, and oddly enough, other than the Last Jedi panel, 
I think the one that I was, I left the auditorium really being the most excited for was the Battlefront 2 because it was so surprising. Everything that they announced about the story and getting Janina in there and getting everyone amped up for that. I think that the low expectation and really high delivery there made that for the best panel. So I'm hoping that they have some good come from behind victories like that one this year. I think Resistance could do that. You know, like even though the people who watch Resistance just generally like, I think pretty much everybody at least likes resistance if they've kept up with it past the first four episodes mm-hmm. uh, you know most of us have like myself have jumped on board you know much more uh getting into the second half of the season but that's in one of the smaller uh auditoriums uh or rooms that they have the panels in and so i think getting that room packed you know and and even i know it would be kind of you know there's the lottery and do you let pe- extra people in there but i think you kind of accidentally, air quotes, let some people sneak in and make it standing room only just so you can have that, like, the people like me who are going back and watching the panel, if they're not already watching Resistance, they're like, this Resistance thing's kind of Oh, this big. is a thing, yeah. You know? Um, or the people who are maybe like, eh, whatever, I got time to kill, I'll go to this Resistance thingy, see what they have to say, maybe season two will make me want to get into it, and then they're like, look around and like, oh, there's a lot of people who are into this, um... Because I was thinking about it yesterday, Rebels always had a huge presence at Celebration, you know, uh, over its four years. It was always on one of the, the main two stages, I believe. So it's it's interesting that they're putting Resistance at a smaller stage. And I think t- that says more about all the other content that's coming out than Resistance. So I think it's, it's a, a real marketing opportunity for Resistance because, God. It turned out to be such a great I, show. I like Resistance so much. I I really started watching it. And I'm like, eh, whatever. I'll watch it, and you know, it'll be fine. Because for me, the Force is my thing. You know, if you don't give me the Force, you got to tell a really great story, <coughs> Phasma, um, <laughs> to to really get me invested in it. And that's one thing that I think, personally, for me, that the Disney era of Star Wars is doing better than. Uh, the the George Lucas era of Star Wars did is tell those stories that don't have anything to do with the Force. Like, I'm reading X-Wing right now, uh, the first one, the Rogue Squadron, and I'm trying to get into it so hard, and it's just, I'm just not, not invested in it at all. Um, whereas, you know, something, <sighs> Battlefront 2, you know, Phasma, uh, catalyst you have all these things that don't really have anything to do with the force and i i just am devouring those things yeah i'm kind of looking at my bookshelf now and i can't think of any legends material that really stick out in terms of not being related to the force but looking at the new canon i feel like well over three quarters of what we have don't relate to the force and it's all so good yeah and i mean Starting with Lost Stars. Well, even speaking loosely, if you, like, say, Legends of Luke Skywalker deals with the Force because it's got Luke, uh, Leia has, like, the one loose mention of the Force. A New yeah, Dawn has Bloodline a... talks about the yeah. new... So if yeah. you just look at the stuff that doesn't even have it at all, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. You know what I did uh, recently? I did a thing. Ooh, what? What'd you do? I read a book that wasn't Star Wars. What? Kind of. Why? So, you know how they say don't judge a book by its cover? 
I'm going to go ahead and guess that you judged a book by a cover. I judged a book by a cover because it said Delilah S. Dawson on the front of it. All right, that's a good reason. Yeah, right? So there is uh, a book that she wrote because she's an author and that's what authors do uh, called <laughs> Hit. And so I was, I'm trying to, I, I was kind of like, I'm going to branch out. I'm going to take a break from Star Wars for a minute and read something else. But I want I want something I know is going to be good, and I knew we were going to be talking about Phasma pretty soon. So I was like, let's try let's check out Delilah S. Dawson. She's she's a good author, and uh, wow, holy cow! I don't know how. Is that the one you had sent a picture of that it looks like like a credit card as yes. cover? Yes. So uh-huh. here's the the synopsis of it basically, and just a heads up if you are easily queasy it is a little bit um on the more edgy side of things it's going to be family friendly but just a a heads up on that so basically what's happened is this bank called valor savings bank has bought the united states they basically bought out all the debt and they own the united states now and it's a it's a dystopian future book but it's not in the future it's like literally when things are changing. So most of the people in the first book don't even know that the bank owns the United States now. And what's (laughs) happened is they are basically getting rid of the debtors and the people who are what they consider a stain on society by hiring through threats like pointing a gun at their mother's head these teenagers to become hitmen. And so they get a list and they have to go out and murder these people who are in debt Um, because in the contract for Valor Savings Bank, there is a thing in the fine print that says like, if you do not repay your debts, we can kill you basically. So it's, it's a, I mean, it's this girl and she's 17, 18 and she goes from just living this poor, like, you know, life to having to go out and murder people. And it's just a whole crazy thing. And it's so well written because you get the feel of exactly what she's going through. You understand the emotion. But also it's very, which we'll get to this in Phasma, it's very, very real. Like she doesn't try to make it anything that it's not. Like they use the same kind of language that we would use. They, it, it's very crass at certain points where in a real life, you would be pretty crass. You know, like she almost gets raped at two, certain, at two points and has to kill the people who are trying to do that to her. And like she talks about it in a way that, I mean, I'm saying this as a male who's never been in such a situation, but I imagine that's exactly the kind of things that you were going through. So... I really appreciated that. And so then there was the second book, which is Strike, which is where basically uh, her and her friends are starting to fight back against the bank. Great stories. Great, great stories. You should definitely read them. If there is an editor uh, for some insane reason you're listening to the show, please sign her for the third book. Oh, I tweeted at her and asked if there was going to be a third one because it kind of leaves on a cliffhanger. Uh-huh. And she said, as of now, there's no plans. Oh, I know. So I'm hold. She said, as of now, she said that the the third book is planned. It always had been planned. 
So I'm like Jim Carrey and Dumber, Dumber, Dumber and Dumber. I'm, I'm like, uh, Dumber, and Dumber and Dumber. Yeah. Uh, you know what I, I said. You might be both Jim I'm both Carrey of them. and Jeff Daniels uh, yes, at this point. Yes, I am. That's how crazy I am over these books. Uh, but I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> That's me right now. So anyways, yeah, that was that was good stuff. Have you uh, read any non-Star Wars stuff lately? I know you branch out a little more than I do. I try to. I wish I've had time lately. I'm actually hoping in my head on like the way to Chicago, I'm going to be able to just be like, oh, great. A nice long plane ride. I can finally relax and get some something uh, a little different in. But if I'm being honest, I'm going to be like, it's all Star Wars all the time starting right now. <laughs> I shall reread the entire canon on the plane trip. Oh, my God. If That's, only. That sounds about right. Well, and then are you going to get the uh, the early copy of I'm Master and I'm going Price? for it. I'm going for it. Let me tell you. So I'm trying for that. And then I... um. For the exclusive lotteries, I put in for Hasbro and Funka. You know, if I can get that, I'll probably end up still getting like a paperback of that other cover because that original cover is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But I don't. There's something about the celebration cover for me, at least. I think it's going to be more tied to the memory. You know how sometimes you you like a song only because of the memories that you have while listening to the song. Oh yeah. I think that's that's going to be me with this cover, where in reality, I know that the original cover is the superior one. It's just I'm probably going to have so many good memories from next week tied to this cover. Yeah, the the celebration cover looks a little more um, like they're in dire straits. You know, it looks a little more barren and hopeless, which I think could tie into the book a little bit more. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the original color is more just like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in a great watercolor. So it'll be interesting to read and see kind of how, how that, uh, how that evolves. Cause it's kind of like the queen shadow one, the, the celebration cover, it's super nice, but you know, the outfit that she's in doesn't really have anything to do with what's in the book. Uh, whereas, which is funny because uh, just listening to E.K. Johnston was on uh, Sky Talkers this last week, and she said she prefers the celebration cover to the original cover. Uh, I personally prefer the the original Queen's Shadow cover. It's one of my favorites, honestly. Yeah, did she say why she liked the celebration cover better? She I'd be did. curious. I honestly i was just like so taken by listening to everything she was saying about writing and the process and understanding these characters that i was still processing that when she talked about that so i'll probably have to go back and listen to it again but uh it's a great conversation even if even if maybe queen shadow wasn't completely your jam uh it's just really nice to to hear her talk about it and and of course she started in fan fiction you know um that's kind of where she got her her start as an author uh writing so cool. star wars fan fiction uh and of course that evolved into into a great career so yeah go over and check that out but today we are talking about phasma uh as you could probably tell by the title of this episode a much less ambiguous cover yes very much less ambiguous <laughs> but not a less ambiguous character so let's go ahead and dive into to this and when this book came out uh, a few years ago, it was right after episode seven, and everybody was kind of like, 
well, but Phasma's not that great. Like, what's going on with this character? So I kind of wanted to get your opinion, Lindsay, on Phasma prior to reading this book, because I know this book had a big impact on you. So kind of set the scene for us. Coming into reading Phasma, where were you with this character? I had high hopes for the character. Um, you know, just to give you a little bit more background on my relationship with this character and this book in general, it's not so much Phasma, but Gwendolyn Christie on Game of Thrones plays Brienne of Tarth. And she, as we know, you know, she plays Phasma. She wears that armor. On Game of Thrones, though, her character is actually my favorite. Um, so I love Gwendolyn Christie for what she does over in Westeros on that in that world. And I think she's just a phenomenal, phenomenal actress. So I had really high hopes for Phasma. And much like everyone else, I was let down with that character in force awakens. And I had so many questions about what motivated her, why she put those shields down, what happened to her, all of the, all the typical questions we were all asking ourselves. And I think that without giving a direct answer, this book explained her character beautifully and her motivations and why she did those things. Um, then also similarly, the following weeks after this book was released, they also had that, I think it was a five comic series arc. Yeah. It sounds uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So just getting a little bit more detailed there. Um, last Jedi, I think she kind of once again, let everyone down. So for me, this book is the absolute pinnacle of what Phasma should be and what a faceless villain is supposed to be in Star Wars. I think this is absolutely exemplary. Yeah, and one of the things that Gwendolyn Christie brought up uh, at the time of Episode 7 was Phasma is a great villain or a great female villain because she's a great villain, not because she's a female who's a villain. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have the sexualized armor. Uh, we never really see her face, uh, those kind of things. And it's funny because you were talking earlier about, like, liking something just because of a memory that was attached to it. And that's kind of me with Phasma. Even though I, her character was kind of disappointing, I had some students leading up to Episode 7 who made... They were getting into something in their computer class or whatever, playing with colors and pictures. And they made this distorted image of Phasma, you know, the the, the classic one from, uh, it was Entertainment Weekly or somebody where she's standing right in front of the ruins of uh, Takodana. And so I've always kind of like, every time I see Phasma, I think about that and it's a nice memory kind of thing. But yeah, honestly, it's funny because until everybody mentioned it, I didn't even think about Phasma as a disappointment. I was like, oh, yeah, she was in the movie. That's right. <laughs> like, that's where I was at with her. And then after this book came out, I was right. I was along the lines of this perfectly explains everything that she did in The Force Awakens. Um, this book shows her completely interested in only one thing, and that is her own survival. And... It makes sense that she would put the blast shield down, or the excuse me, the 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 shield down to preserve her own life, you know. And then, like you mentioned in the Phasma comic, that's about how she goes and covers that up and blames it on somebody else and gets him killed. Uh, which again, nobody else matters. It's all about it's all about Phasma. 
Um, it's really interesting also because when this book came out, there were a lot of mentions of, you know, how similar it was to Mad Max um, and kind of that the the field that it had and they came out in very similar timelines i'm wondering if maybe people who did enjoy this book didn't like it for the exact reason that it was a little too derivative of uh mad max i think that's purely coincidence because of like where the schedules would have fit up uh in terms of like when the book was being produced and when the movie is being produced and obviously different studios and yada yada but do you think that the the whole mad max uh paradigm had any impact on how this book was received um i think it's not only mad max but even game of thrones uh you know for me there were so many settings and so for i think that the the setting and the plot was very reminiscent of mad max whereas the characters themselves were really relatable to game of thrones and different characters there and because I am a fan of both of those franchises, it meshed really well for me because I was able to say, okay, so this is what I'm relating it to. This is what I'm comparing it to. Not that it is a ripoff of it. I almost feel like it would be interesting to see how not Mad Max and Game of Thrones fans felt about Phasma and if we could group them there, but almost ha- if we, I feel silly for saying this, but almost if we could t- look at Avatar and see what fans of Avatar think about Phasma, because just like Avatar, a lot of people were like, oh, no, this is just Pocahontas. And, you know, this is just Ferngully. And we've seen these stories before. This is nothing original. I think those people might have the same thoughts as Phasma. Whereas to me, I kind of saw Avatar as, okay, this is a nice evolution of those stories. And this is a nice way to blend those stories into something a little bit more modern. Um, Just to clarify, you're talking Avatar like the James Cameron Avatar? I am, yeah, not Airbender. Because I was like, I'm watching Avatar The Last Airbender right now, and I was like, how is it Pocahontas? what are you watching on? I've been trying to find it. Uh, I know a guy. Ah, lucky. Yeah, I think one of my friends has the DVDs. Um, But no, in terms of Phasma and the Mad Max thing, I think it's not so much are you a fan of Mad Max or not. I think it's are you understanding that sometimes authors need to evolve someone else's story and they take inspiration from other people's story without, you know, this is a total ripoff. Well, and it's kind of like that theory of there's really only seven stories that exist. They're just told in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why like for me, when it comes to storytelling and stuff, it it really comes down to the books, you know? And I thought about this while I was reading the, the hit series that I mentioned earlier, Delilah Dawson does a great job of designing these characters to make them very simple and easy to understand, but also make you empathize with them. So for example, like, in in the the hit books the the main character patsy you know she's going out killing these people right and so you you feel the agony that she's going through for that but at the same time you completely understand why she's doing it and to some extent are like i would probably do the same um because it's explained so well and i think that's kind of the same thing that goes on with phasma is you have these characters like cardinal for example who is an amazing character but 
you can sum him up in he's everything the First Order would want. Like, he's the perfect First Order clone, almost. You know, the prototype. But then she takes you on this emotional journey with his entire life, basically, just breaking apart because of Phasma. And in a weird way, like... You feel for him. You No, you totally feel for him. You yeah. totally feel for him. And I think it's really interesting because... We would expect Phasma, especially from the story that's being told on Parnosis, to just go at him and destroy his life with brute force. But she's not doing that. She's doing it very craftily. The end part where she kind of puts the the final, I don't know, dirt on top of his grave and they do fight is almost an epilogue to the fact that, like, She's already destroyed him. You know, if he didn't even confront her at all, his life's not going to be... He's a nobody now because she was so good at the the scheming and the political machinations, which is really interesting because she does come from this, this planet where it's just... It's barren. It, there's nothing, you know? So, yeah. She comes from a place that is more rare than we let on in Star Wars, but it's from a place where brute strength is truly an asset. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm currently rereading the Yoda secret war, uh, series or a section of the star Wars ongoing. And they have a very similar setting there. It's very primal, uh, mm. tribal and everything. That's the one with the rock. Yeah. The rock mountain. Right? Yeah. Um, not Dwayne, the rock Johnson. That would have been a lot better, uh, of a story. <laughs> so I'm rereading that. And, and, struggling to get through it because i just i like everything with yoda in it but everything else that's going on around him is just like why is this happening and it made me see it made me really realize how wonderful of a story delilah dawson told setting this story in such a primal place and i think it reflects phasma's character a lot so how do you think her her history before the book and and kind of some of the background we get before she joins the the main tribe that she's a part of how do you think that kind of directed her life forward and kind of set her her story in motion it's it's weird because it's almost still a mystery to us you know we can look at the actual events but one of the things that, that Delilah Dawson did in this book that took me really by surprise. And I, I almost didn't really realize how jarring it was. I assumed that we would get to see everything from Phasma's point of view. And then when we start in with this, you know, V and the Cardinal storyline, I thought eventually we would switch into Phasma's point of view and see it that way for at least a little bit. But we never really do. And to me, that's one of the reasons why she is so incredibly formidable and why we don't have that empathy for her. Because we still, even throughout this whole story and throughout the, you know, before the story even begins, we don't fully understand how she's processing things. So the best we can assume is these really harsh conditions did make her into, I don't want to say this monster, but this this force to be reckoned with. The issue with that is everyone else in the Skyre didn't turn out that way. 
she was truly an anomaly. So there in my mind has to still be a missing piece from long before this story started that we don't know about that truly turned Phasma into who she is because nothing she went through is totally unique to her experience. It's something her brother and her tribe would have gone through as well. Well, and it's one of those nature versus nurture situations, you know, and how much of each creates a person because we do see, you know, she, she does care about the survival of her people um, with, with putting the, what do they call the, the paste that they put on the solve um, that they, they put on. She's very adamant about making sure that they have that and, and going through the ritual and stuff. But it starts to seem kind of clear she's doing that just to make sure that she can survive. You know, like mm. there are means to an end, um, which which I find really interesting. And it makes you question, like, are some people just born pure evil? You know, like, because part of the prequels was showing, like, evil can corrupt you if you're not adamant about fighting it. But you do still have certain people like Palpatine. And we don't know his history. And so you wonder... You know, like, how do you get there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I and I like that a lot. And I think with with Phasma's character, that really does open up those questions. What do you think of? Are are you a fan of the the V telling us the story? I am. Um, it took a couple chapters to kind of get into because I was so excited my first time reading it to dive into the story. I was like, I don't, I don't really care about this. I just want to get to the, the meat of it. But once we got started, seeing her thought process into why she was cherry picking what parts of the story she was going to tell and getting a little bit more information on the resistance and what it meant to her. But one of the things I really, really love that the whole um, V telling the story sets up is we get that look at what day-to-day life would have been like in the First Order. And that's so new to us. We get a little bit of it in Lost Stars and the Empire. But I think it's just really cool, you know, like the one episode of Rebels where we can say, okay, so as a First Order trooper, this is where they had breakfast. And this is what it was like when they were going to and from trainings, things like that. Well, and even more important things like how do they get them to believe this stuff, you know, and, and the brainwashing that they do with having the, it's like the motivational tapes playing at night, you know? Yeah, that was wild. That's so cool. And, and I mean, it's, it's crazy because it's something, I don't know, like, it's something very 70s, 80s of, you know, listening to these motivational tapes as you go to sleep, like you are valuable. And, you know, they, they had all those things. And, but the reverse is, and the resistance is crushing right. the entire galaxy. Exactly. And yeah. in retrospect, I think we kind of look back on those things and go, like, all right, that's a, that's a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then they, Delilah Dawson takes that thing that, like, we would be like, okay, that's a little bit ridiculous. Oh, but, hey, here's a whole bunch of, like, people, a whole army worth of people who actually believed in this brainwashing thing. So, in a way, it makes you go, like, Oh, I can't take anything for granted with the first order. Yeah, like any- and one thing, one thing I really admire that um, Dawson did with that is when we got glimpses into that, 
especially the, you know, the motivational tapes at night, it's a blink and you miss it type thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so that's why it's it seems, you know, very unmonumental to them because it is just part of their day. You know, she talks about him listening to those tapes at night um, or watching those videos at night the way we talk about brushing our teeth. You know, it's it was literally part of his nighttime routine. He didn't think anything of it. And that's how they're able to get that brainwashing in. It's just because they make it seem like it is a totally normal thing for anyone to do before going to bed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this does for the First Order, at least to a point, what Clone Wars did for the Clone Troopers. Obviously not as in-depth and from very different points of view, but Clone Wars made the clones very human for us. You know, it gave them names. <laughs> we got connected to them and stuff like that. And we see in the first order, like they give each other nicknames, you know, Cardinal takes great pride in being, uh, you know, Cardinal and not just a number, you know, and, and that's a very, uh, important slight when, when Hux calls him by his number for the first time in, in years. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting because in, when this book came out, Cardinal was the the only red storm. He was the exception, had, yeah. You know, and and it, it said directly in the book that like, uh, Brendel Hux gave him that that red armor, and he was the first of of his kind. And now in Resistance, we've got uh, the the pilot that's got the red armor. There's the possibly leaked There's poster or, yeah. with red, a whole bunch of red stormtroopers. Uh, there's been talks of red stormtroopers at Galaxy's Edge. So I love the way that like little moments, little things that we could just completely forget about are happening in the novels that when you put them in the context of the larger story. So significant. Are very significant. Yeah. And. I want to go back to to V for just a minute because she was probably my least favorite character of the book just because not because she was a bad character but just because I think everybody everyone else, was, else is such a heavy hitter. Yeah, so much and she's just kind of yeah. like that. She's kind of like that suave spy like you're just your stereotypical spy, which is fine. Like we we need those characters sometimes that we we don't have to think about like Hmm, what's this character's motivation? You know, pretty straight up. But what I really appreciated about, and I've mentioned this before, that I love the way that the new canon is allowing stories to be told in such different ways. You know, you have Last Shot, which is three timelines going on at the same time. I didn't like it, but I appreciate it. Uh, Phasma, you know, is is being this told. one does it so much better. It does it so much better, yeah. yeah. And I think I think if Last Shot had happened before Phasma, I might have a different point of view on the book. But I was like, this this is cur doing something very similar to Phasma, but not exactly what Phasma. Well, well did. with with Phasma, it was so much easier because there's different characters depending on what timeline you're on. Yeah. So it's much easier to keep everything straight and understand why the story is being told in this. Um, but going back to why you weren't that big of a fan of V, I totally get that. I think one of the reasons why she didn't hit home for me, one, of course, it's because, like I said, everyone else, every other character is such a heavy hitter here, except her, really. 
But two, she spends most of the time getting captured. I'm I'm interested to see when Black Spire comes out, which Dawson is also writing, if we like her anymore when we get to actually see her in action, yeah. not just handcuffed telling a story. Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely uh, a major possibility. And of course, you know, authors have thought out backstories to these characters that they don't necessarily put in the book, you know, so that they can understand where the character is coming from. So I, I'll definitely be interested to revisit the the character once we get more of that perspective. And it's interesting because, like, this book is all really about perspective, you know, uh, to, to go back to, you know, Star Wars, a certain point of view. You know, Cardinal has this one point of view of things. V has this one point of view of things. But I think most significantly... We're not getting Phasma's story. You mentioned this earlier. We're not getting it firsthand. It's not Phasma that's telling us the story. We're not in Phasma's head. We're not even getting this second hand. We're getting this third hand, you know? And and this book is basically a game of telephone. Well, we're getting it third hand with an agenda. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. And so mm. it, it, it almost is like the Legends of Luke Skywalker book where you're like, okay, but is that really how it happened? Which I think is so great because this is a character now that you could tell so many other stories with, but you don't have to. You know, it's kind of like that. It, it's kind of like the Boba Fett thing. He went mm. into Sarlacc. Did he die? Maybe, maybe not. You know, like Phasma, did she end up taking over this whole region of her home planet that she never knew existed? maybe maybe not maybe it was just v telling you know enhancing the story to keep cardinal along the line so i think it's a really interesting uh perspective to have on this book that it gives us a lot about phasma but we also can't take it for granted that it's all true i didn't even think of that to be honest i kind of just took this as you know took it as bible but now, yeah, I wonder how much has been exaggerated or how much has been altered so that, you know, V could work it to her advantage. Yeah. It, well, yeah. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be her working it to her advantage. I think that would definitely be a, a good thing to explore. And and maybe we even we get some hints of that in Black Spire. But all of this could just be myth, you know, like... Maybe her parents just died of mysterious circumstances and she didn't actually kill them and she just took advantage of that. Or, you know, like even things like that that I think we would just take for granted, like, oh, yeah, she's a terrible person. She definitely killed her parents. It's like, did she, though? Um, which is interesting because I think for for most people and definitely for myself going into this book, I think we expected to almost empathize with Phasma. In a way yes. that we do with Thrawn, you know, like at the end of the day, Thrawn's still a bad guy, but we get it. He's trying to protect his people from something that's not in his control. Don't agree with the way he goes about it, but I get it. Even uh, even in Lost Stars, we get that same kind of idea like, I get why you're doing it, but can you not see why you're doing this is the wrong thing? Phasma, the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, 
oh, I've got to get to the next thing because I'm going to empathize with yeah. her. I'm going to empathize with her. And just never came. Oh, my God. I still hated her at the end. And I actually closed the book and went, I still hate her. And I'm happy about that. Yes. She is, to me, the true villain of not only Star Wars, I would say any franchise. Yeah, she does. They do a great job with her. Or I shouldn't say they do because straight up, this just all comes down to to Delilah yeah. Dawson. A great job of making her just a straight up villain without being the mustache twirling villain, you know? And it's so good. Like, like Grievous is a mustache twirling villain. I love Grievous, but at the end of the day, he's just there to go like, oh, I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yes. Whereas, or even, even Dooku, where it's like the, the Bond villain of, let me sit here and explain my yes. master plot to you. Yes. And I think this... Her, yeah. Ruthless. This, straight up ruthless. This shows her very similar to, uh, to Palpatine, which is like, if you're going to be like a villain, he's the one to be like. Yes. Well, even when this when this first came out, I know I wrote an article over for the blog too about how we see her character evolve. And she really goes through these five different stages in the book and each one can be represented by whichever mask or whichever helmet she's wearing at that given time. But no matter what, she is always that villain. You know, she might be able to adopt Brendel Hux's accent really quickly, and she might be able to pick up on how the First Order works really quickly. But no matter what, she has that one goal in mind, which is pure self-preservation. And one of the big red flags for me is as to why she's such a great character she has that motivation when she doesn't need to. I understand when they're on Parnosis and everything is going to kill you. You know, it's like the Florida of space. (laughs) (laughs) Any bug could be the last thing that you see. Oh my gosh. I wish we gave these shows funny titles because Florida of space would be the title of this show. Yes. Love it. Oh, man. Love it. But like when you're in the Florida of space, I could understand why self-preservation is the main goal. But once you get to the First Order and once you join these ranks, that doesn't necessarily need to be the main goal. Maybe then you can start to focus on something a little bit more ambitious or something a little more selfless. But no, it is still just pure self-preservation that drives her. So here's the important question that that analogy brings up i'm from florida i left florida not on the best of terms so we could say a little bit of a villain does that make me the phasma of fandom Ooh! see these are the things that come up these are the deep insights you get on don't burn the sacred text <laughs> i'd say you're the sieve all right i'll take it you're in the sieve. Um, um, fun game for later, too. Google Florida Man and then put your birthday in and see what headlines come up. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of those. <laughs> Mine is so good. I can't say it here, though. It's true. All of it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had one thing as I was reading this book the second time through. One was your article uh, because – after I finished the book and read your article, I was like, how did I miss that entire 
plot line. It was it was so great. So I'm going to link that uh, in the show notes for sure and check that out because I, I do think it really affects the plot. But another thing that came up to me while I was reading this second time through is the, the question of what is honor. And here's what I mean by that. Like with you have a, a few themes um, that attach to honor that are brought up in this book. You have loyalty. Uh, we see loyalty in different forms in Brendel, you know, very loyal to the First Order. Cardinal, same thing. V is very loyal to the Resistance. Uh, and we also have, you know, fighting for what you believe in, which would be something that's very honorable. Um, which, of course, we have Cardinal, V, Brendel, all fighting for their sides. And even Phasma fights for what she believes in. She just believes in herself mm-hmm. and only herself. Um and then also we have this idea of a moral code. Uh, you know, we see Cardinal, his moral code is what the First Order has trained him. V has this, even though she doesn't blatantly say it, we know she has this code that she sticks to. Is this just me? Am I stretching too much? Or do you think this this book is kind of a thesis on how maybe we come to conclusions about these ideas of, of loyalty and honor and these things that we just deem as good when really that line is not as clear as we would like it to be. No, I think you're right on the mark. I absolutely find that to be a theme. I would almost say the answer to that question as posed in Phasma specifically would be that it's like part of having honor is having altruism as well. Because that is what really separates Phasma from Keldo or even Phasma from Cardinal. It's that that ability to think outside of yourself and do what's right for other people. Um, If you haven't read the Aftermath trilogy and you don't truly know Brendel Hux's character, it's even easy to say that he's honorable because it seems like from this book and having that third party look of him, um, through Cardinal's eyes, through, you know, Siv's eyes, you could even say he was honorable. It seems like he's doing things with the best of intentions. We know from Aftermath that's not true, but it seems like there's that little bit of altruism in him in this, and that's how he's able to get people to follow him. Yeah, and I think that what Dawson did with this book, like we talked about before, of you go into a book like this expecting to 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 some extent be rooting for the bad guy, you know, like yeah. you would a Thrawn book. So you you're reading it with that expectation and that never happens. Not so, even for a page. Not yes, not even for a page. And so it kind of gets you to go like, well, wait a minute though. And you really start to question and look at the the perspective of good and evil. Um, and like you said, like at the end of the day, what is it that separates us and what is it that makes us honorable? Because people on both sides are, they, they think they're the good guy. They think what they're doing is right. Um, and Adam Driver mentioned this in the lead up to the force awakens. The thing that makes Kylo Ren scary is he believes that what he's doing is right. And that's what makes a a scary villain. Um, man, this, (sighs) Every time, this book is like an onion. You just keep peeling back the layers, and there's more and more to it. I hadn't even thought about it from that point of view. 
Something else I've been thinking about a lot with Star Wars that I think kind of links to that is this idea of intention versus action. And we do things with this intention. Um, for example, Anakin turning to the dark side with a good purpose. You know, like saving your wife from certain death, not a terrible thing. But the action completely degrades the intention. Um, whereas in other characters, you have the intention might be something a little nefarious, but the action doesn't quite lead to the end that they thought. Um, kind of like Dooku, you know, like um, he he goes to Obi-Wan. His intention is to get him to join him. Uh, but the action that he takes by basically telling him the truth, but making it seem like a lie convinces and, and pulling the name of Qui-Gon Jinn convinces Obi-Wan like, nah, you're, you're playing me here though. I think you get kind of a, a struggle between the, the people who grow up on Parnosis and the first order troops of, where do we draw that line? Where do we where do we stop and say like, okay, even though we are trying to survive, this is not something that we should be doing, which of course is a line that Phasma clearly never even considers. One thing Phasma does though is she uses deceit. And I think that's maybe where we're saying the line is is when we are lying to other people in order to get them to do what we need. Um, I was very, very struck in this book, not so much even just by Phasma's ruthlessness, but by what a good leader she was. And part of that was because she was able to lie. So she's able to get, you know, these, for lack of better words, these troops from the sky are to do what she wants and her warriors to really follow every single one of her orders because she's lying to them about what the end goal is. She's telling them it is, you know, so they can build this better world. They can get off this. They can bring everyone off this planet with them. Where in reality, she's just worried about getting herself off of the planet. Whereas Keldo is much more open and honest about what his end goal is. And that's, you know, keeping peace. He doesn't care where they are. He doesn't care what planet they're on. He just wants things to be peaceful. And he's very honest about that. Whereas Phasma uses deceit to get what she wants for herself. Yeah. And leadership is such an interesting thing because like, if you ask 10 people about their theories on leadership, you're going to get 15 different answers. (laughs) You know, like everybody has their idea on what leadership is. And of course, like there's a whole book industry (laughs) really about what leadership is. But Star Wars kind of presents it in a very interesting way for us because you do have characters like Palpatine who seem to be doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, you know. And then you have characters like Mon Mothma who she's for all extents and purposes a background character. Um, and it would have been really easy to just say everything that she did was great and the New Republic was super-duper successful, yay, rebellion. But what they did with her is 
made her into a character that went to the other extreme of Palpatine, which was to completely demilitarize super quickly. Um, and that set them up to basically ignore the First Order's threat um, that was out there. So you have these bad guys who end up with doing some good things, and you have these good guys who fall short of kind of what we would expect of them. And and like you mentioned, like Phasma, great leader, terrible person. You know, like Keldo, great person, maybe not the best leader. And it's just interesting how that dynamic is set up throughout kind of the entire canon. Yeah, and there's there's definitely at least still no real answer. You know, you could put just like you said, you could ask ten people, you get fifteen different answers. That's such a good saying. I like that. I never heard that. Um, but you could pick up ten Star Wars books, and you would get fifteen different answers to that exact question. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think the more that you dig into these books and the rereads that you do to them. Uh, really add a whole lot of perspective. I don't. I don't understand. I, I. I mean, I say this, but you're one of those people. Maybe I just get too caught up in the book sometimes. But I feel like after the first read, everybody else has like such deep insights on the book, and I was like, it was really good. Like it takes that second reread for me to to really figure it out and and see those those deep themes. Um. Do you think that this book, well, before we get to that, did this book alter your point of view on Phasma? It did. Uh, uh, maybe not altered, but so much as deepened, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's not so much that I thought of her differently. I just understood more, more the same. Um yeah, I would almost say, like, I didn't think of her differently. I just thought of her more. Yeah. You know, like, I was yeah. like... Yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool because she's so unique, like I said before, not just to Star Wars, but really any fandom, any franchise. There's no redeeming factor in her. But it's still so fun to watch what she does because she knows no boundaries. So do you think that that her being, as you said, kind of like a pinnacle of what a villain should be, do you think that that in some way makes her relevant and important to the overall Star Wars story? Or do you think, yeah, we could we could drop her and in the long run, the story's still going to basically tell us the same thing? I think the way that we've set it up now, we could drop her and the story's going to tell us the same thing, unfortunately. I do wish that the movies spent a little bit more time with her and with her and Finn's relationship instead of just making her this visually stunning piece of the movie. I think there was a lot more that could have been explored, but it didn't. And because of that, they could eventually drop her and the story's still the same. See, and I've, everybody knows we love Last Jedi. So what I'm about to say is not Last Jedi hate. That's my one problem with The Last Jedi. I feel like Ryan Johnson really dropped the ball with this character. And this is one of those things where, like, this is what I was expecting, and maybe my expectations messed with it. But Delilah Dawson 
did a such a great job of showing the change of the character via the masks, like you laid out in your article. But also, by the end of the story, nobody living has seen her with her mask off. It's a very clear point that's made. She's killed everybody who's seen her with her mask off. And I expected that to be a major part in The Last Jedi. And so every time the mask breaks open and you see the eye, I'm like, but you could have done more. Mm-hmm. You know? We, you, they should have given us all of it at that point. Yeah, even... That's why when we only saw the eye for that brief moment, I was like, oh, she's going to get out of this. Yeah, that's what... Honestly, that's what I thought the first time, too. And then, you know, the floor literally comes out from under. Her. But I know listening to, to Ryan Johnson's interviews, the intention was, you know, you, you have... The, the soft eyes that Gwendolyn Christie has. Uh, you know, she's got the very fair skin. So you see that little sliver and you're like, is there a good person underneath there? No, there can't be. And of course, if you read this book, you're like, no, there can't be. No, there is not. But I think it would have been even more impactful if you had, I don't know, if the mask broke open more or you just have her rip off the mask in anger, you know, and she's so frustrated with Finn and the trouble that he's caused her that she doesn't even care about these things that she's been preserving for, for so long. And then you see all of Gwendolyn Christie's face because I'm sorry. I I have not watched game of Thrones. I know that's like not a cool thing to say. I know, I know, (laughs) but I can't look at Gwendolyn Christie and go like, that's a bad guy, you know? Whereas no, like- no, but but she is such an incredible actress that I think if you, you know, said, hey, for three seconds, I need you to basically be, you know, the soul of Satan, she could pull it off for three seconds. She could, I think, find it in her to make that god-awful face that we would need. But other than that, yeah, she just has, there does seem to be this incredible inherent kindness to her and that's something in the um what is it the woman of the galaxy book where we finally get that hand-drawn picture of her without her mask on parnosis is this i don't want to say kind but this very calming presence to her which i wasn't expecting but i think Gwendolyn christie has the range that she would be able to pull off that calmness all the way to I'm going to kill Finn because he just saw my face. Yeah. I I almost wonder if that's something that Delilah Dawson considered while she was writing this book. Because, of course, I think the major reason they got Gwendolyn Christie to play Phasma is because she's Gwendolyn Christie. She's has a very imposing physique, you know, all those well, things. Well, did you, did you ever hear the rumor of her kind of stepping into that role? vaguely yeah i don't know you know how much of it now is kind of just urban legend but i do remember at the time she was cast i read in multiple articles that it was originally a man in the role but she just kept having her agent you know push and push and push to get her in the movie finally she was able to land a part and they put her in Phasma and Abrams was so impressed with her that he wrote that character in 
to the story a little bit more and obviously was able to keep her in the last Jedi, but it was because she stepped into that role for what was supposed to be made for a man. And she just stepped in and, and really impressed everyone with her physicality and what she was able to do behind the armor. Um, and that's how she was kind of put into that role. Yeah. And, and I remember that Phasma wasn't even really supposed to be in the movie at all. Like she wasn't even a character in the original uh, drafts of the script. Her armor design was a design for Kylo Ren, or I think still at that point, he was just called the Jedi killer. I don't think he was Ben Solo yet. Um, so it's it, it's kind of interesting that this character really got onto the, the scene because the armor looked really cool, right? And like, oh, we got to have that in there. And it's kind of this, this iterative storytelling, this mythology that is evolving around this character that slowly, like I said before, it, it unpeels and unpeels, um, whether you're looking at behind the scenes or in the story itself. You know, it kind of works the same way, which is super, super, super interesting. I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I really like Phasma. I know she doesn't do much in the movies, but this book just... This book is phenomenal. It, it just completely makes it. What uh, what impact do you think that this book will have on Resistance going forward in Season 2? Because we've seen Phasma briefly in Season 1. We know Gwendolyn Christie loves this character. She's going to have a little more free time with Game of Thrones coming to a conclusion. <laughs> so considering the fact that the the Force Awakens Last Jedi timeline is so close together. Do you think one? Do you think we'll see Phasma more? Slash, do you think that this this story will have an impact on the story that's told in Resistance in any way? Unfortunately, I don't think it will. Um, you know, we know from the miniseries for the comics that she was a little preoccupied between the Force Awakens and Last Jedi. So there doesn't really give her much leeway to be part of that story. In terms of storytelling wise, I would actually like to see Parnosis more than Phasma in Resistance. Oh. I think it would be cool if that's kind of where they ended up and they were able to dig up more information about her or about Hux and the origin of the First Order that way. You know, not that I think it would happen. It would just be cool. It would be super cool. We hadn't really talked about Parnosis a lot. We talked about it briefly, but what did you think about the whole, uh, basically nuclear bombing of this planet and how this loved company it. comes in? Yeah, did you? I loved it. It was just so different. Yeah. This was. This was, you know, whether you like this book or not, you have to say it is the most unique Star Wars story we've ever had. I thought it was so good. I realize it wasn't totally original to books overall, but like we said before, there's only seven stories you can tell and only so many settings you can tell those seven stories in. But this, at least to Star Wars, was so totally original and such a big risk to take. And I think it paid off. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, when I when I first read it, the the droids, I'm very, 
I'm probably a little more sensitive about droids than I should be. <laughs> I either really like them, like R2 and BB-8, or they really get on my nerves, like 3PO and mm-hmm. at certain moments L3. So when you get to these droids and they're just repeating these same lines and do, just, you really are like, oh, this is really annoying. But then when you think about it, isn't that exactly what's happening to the stormtroopers? You know, and there's wow, right? And so in this in this microcosm, Phasma gets her first experience in what we would consider a quote unquote normal Star Wars setting. And who is her antagonist? These droids that are controlled by a master that she has to break out from, and. I think that that is just so cool. And so then when you get to the end and Siv and and her daughter are preserved by that same kind of place, the same place really that Phasma started to learn about the larger galaxy where she gets her armor. And at the same time, it's that kind of place that keeps the last real connection that she has to her past life alive. I think is a really powerful statement on how our past impact our future, uh, which is a big theme that's going on in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. And I mean, I know you said you don't watch game of Thrones, but there is this one absolutely incredible line in the very first book and even the very first episode where Tyrion, who is the dwarf says to Jon Snow, you know, Basically, you have to embrace what you are. You can't forget what you are because the world won't. But instead, you can wear it like an armor and no one will ever hurt you with it. And that's really what that is literally what Phasma is doing. She's going back to this home world that caused her so much pain and literally forging her armor so no one can hurt her with it. It'll be really interesting to see what they do with Kylo Ren in episode nine with regards to his mask. And Um, and come back to phasma because the mask does play such a a significant part and of course you know the mask in storytelling is is such a significant feature and the mask being on or off or or whatever um and especially in star wars yeah i was gonna say i think they're playing with that a lot more in in the sequel trilogy with having with having kylo take his mask off um and having phasma's mask break and seeing that that tender eye to some extent even cardinal one of the Mm. things that i found really shocking from the get-go with the book phasma was how quickly cardinal took his helmet off for the interrogation and became human immediately i was so struck by that and just the fact that from you know that's when i really knew this story was going to be different Because we were already breaking the norms and already breaking expectations. Well, and they kind of do that in Force Awakens with Kylo's helmet, right? He takes it off. Yeah, when he slams it down. But he slams it down in the ashes of people that he's killed. Yeah, And, and not only that, he just has such a kind face at the time. Right. But then when you have, you look at Cardinal, also, you know, kind of described to have a kind face, you know, described to be pretty good looking and everything and he's in the bowels of this star destroyer taking his mask off against regulation to show his human side to 
his prisoner, you know, and, and it, it's very similar to Kylo taking his mask off to to show his more human side to his prisoner. So it's interesting that those themes kind of cross over. Um, and, I, and I think that kind of goes with what you were saying about, like, not being able to fully get rid of your past, you know. Uh, Cardinal can't let go of what he views the First Order as, and so because of that, he can't accept what Phasma is turning the First Order into. Yeah, and I mean, he even references growing up on Jakku far more often than someone who's well-adjusted should. That's true. I always forget that he comes from Jakku. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's... I think part of... I'm super excited for episode nine, obviously, because episode nine. But one of the things I'm really excited for is once episode nine closes, it opens a whole arena for storytelling. We can finally get more on Jakku. We can get more about Palpatine's plan, the First Order, the war, these characters like Cardinal and and stuff like that. It just opens up so much more. And I know we're getting uh, Black Spire... Does that come out around the same time that Galaxy's Edge is coming or is going in California? Yes. Okay. And we're going to get V back on that one. It'll be interesting to see. I imagine that that will take place probably before this. Do we have a set date on, on that? We don't, but honestly, even this book, that's, I don't think my, an issue with this book at all. Um, I think it was done on purpose to be ambiguous ambiguous about the timeline here so they can keep things open yeah i'm still not totally sure when this book takes place let alone when uh, black spire is gonna be it'll be interesting if black spire happens after if we see any mentions of what she goes through on this this experience you know and yeah i kind of hope we do i i hope it's after i think it would be be really really cool and i mean depending on the time gap that we get between eight and nine it could be something really cool that you know for those of us that that read the books maybe we go see episode nine and i know there's been the theories that we're going to go to batu i don't know if i believe that but if we were like oh hey they mentioned that thing in uh in the black spire book like something small like luke's compass we're like oh hey that's from battlefront 2 how cool is that you know so yeah. on our Queen's Shadow episode, we added kind of a, a new question to close out, which is if you got some ancillary material to go with this story, what would you want it to be? So we, we you can take that. Um, for example, Drew wanted a, a graphic novel uh, redo of Queen's Shadow to get some of the visuals. You can get you can go in the direction of another story, really anything. What other ancillary story material would you like to go with phasma i would love as much as i love phasma i have you know giant tattoo of phasma on my shoulder now um i would actually skip all the characters here and i would want to learn more about the history of prognosis and what exactly happened on that planet that wiped out all that technology I think really you just want to be able to know what Parnosis looks like so you can get a Parnosis tattoo to go with Phasma. I do. I do. You caught me. Yeah. I I think originally I would have said I would want more of Cardinal's story. But on this second reread that I did, he's kind of a cut and dry character. Um, and I don't necessarily think we need 
more of his story and I don't necessarily know that I want more of his story. I feel like what happens in Phasma is kind of his most compelling um, portion of his life. Honestly, and this is like the cheapest answer ever, I want Phasma 2. <laughs> that is the cheapest answer ever. I but, love it. But honestly, I like, I'm fascinated by just ha- how she manipulates people. I don't know. I'm fascinated by people that can play other people because I, I am not good at that. I'm just like too blunt and I'm, I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't. I can't manipulate people like that. You know, I can't get people to do what I want them to do kind of thing like Phasma does. And I'm just fascinated by the psychology behind that. And you put it in a Star Wars setting and I'm like, yes, give me more. And obviously, I, I or I shouldn't say obviously, because some people think that I don't think we're getting Phasma back in episode nine. I don't think she survived that fall um, or, you know, the whole ship exploding or, you know, there, sure, nobody, but it's not, ju- it's not quite falling down a pit. The pit was on fire and, you know, she was in space. Yeah, I think she's gone. She's gone. She's gone, people. Yeah. Just let, let it go. Let it go. Safe. She's gone. Um, but to see kind of her continued rise up the First Order um, through those ranks and, and even to pull in like some of the resistance characters that we've seen like Tierney and Pyre, like almost to some extent. Oh, here's what it is. Here's what I want Phasma two to be queen shadow, but with Phasma. And here's what I mean by that. You get all these characters that you see in resistance. You see her interacting with them. You see her adjusting to her new life in the first order, just like, uh, Padme was adjusting to her new life in the Senate. You see her rivalry with Cardinal a little bit more and all these things and how she's changing the entire First Order to kind of reflect her image. But like, hmm. she still stays. All right, I'll give it terrible. to you. You know what? I know I said I'll I wanted the you. third book to the Strike series, but maybe I want Phasma 2 more. Not gonna lie. I want Phasma 2. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way and then we can go back. That, that sounds fair. That sounds fair. Let's be greedy. Let's do both. Um, all right. So that, let's be greedy. We deserve it. Yes, I deserve it. I work very hard on you know reading these books for them, so they should make more of it. <laughs> everything is about fan service. Give me everything I want. I'm a fan. Give me everything I want. <laughs> I can't even. I just like completely lost my train of thought. And give it to going, me now. Give it to me now. I want it all. Um, all right. So any closing thoughts on Phasma? Uh, as a character or this novel in particular? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's... We could talk for hours about this book, in my opinion, and barely scratch the surface between, um, you know, the importance of children in this, the importance of loyalty and honor, which we really briefly got to, but there's there's so much to unpack in this, and it's hard to get that many themes in a book that's still so enjoyable to read, but every single page held my interest, no matter how many times I read this. Yeah. I think we'll, at some point we'll have to come back around to this book after the sequel trilogy is complete and see the, the themes that connect between. Yeah. The two. What really was important. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is, this is to me, I would relate this to the book version of, you know how there's some movies where you're like, there's no good scene to go to the bathroom. 
Yes. Every scene is important. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is the this is the book version of that. And it, and it, it's also it, it's such a heavy book, but it's such a easy book to read. Like I remember when it first came out, I always judge like how enjoyable a book is by how quickly I finish it. Um because I'm not a very quick reader. Like I know there's some people who can like get a book and they finish it like in the day they got it and I'm like I don't know how you did that. But I think I finished who would this do that? book. Uh, I don't know anybody like that. Uh, uh this book I finished <laughs> like in under a week, which is is pretty good for me. So yeah. Absolutely Especially cuz it came out the same day. Both this and um Leia Princess of Alderaan came out for Force Friday two years ago going into last Jedi. So I think this book kind of got that's right. Better, better terms over queen shadowed, um, because of that release. And I feel like a lot of people missed it because it literally came out at the same exact day. Y'all you be doing phasma disservice. Get it together. Oh, big time. This should have been its own day because now, now, I remember back reading it. I was like, okay, I need to just get through this whole Phasma thing so that I can get to Leia Princess of Alderaan. And then I started reading Phasma and I was like, oh, oh, this thing's this thing's for oh, real. This is great. Okay. This is wonderful. All right. So, and then Princess of Alderaan, also wonderful. So, good stuff. Good stuff. Man, now it makes... See, this is... The circle is now complete because I started our discussion tonight talking about Leia and Phasma... And you, and I'm finishing talking about Leia and Phasma with you. You see how I did that? Look at that. I'm a professional, people. What I'm a professional. an amazing circle. God, I'm good. I'm That's so you. Good. Oh, man. That's you. All right. Well, before my head gets too big for my headphones to fit onto it, uh, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. So remember um, that we are still doing our Revenge of the Sith novelization contest. We're continuing that through this month and we'll announce the winner of that on our uh rogue one episode uh of the main show so to do that just uh go leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice um i know you hear it on all of the things but this is not just like self-aggrandizing and like yeah give us a rating and review because we're awesome but one thing i really appreciate and, and i take very little credit of this and give this credit to to just our whole community of listeners and, and you guys on the staff and everything. Clashing Sabres has really become just such a tight community and, and the people that we have are awesome. And we want to bring more awesome people into that community. And, and I don't want to say heal this fandom because that just sounds cheesy and cliche, but really show everybody that it's just a lot, few loud voices that are, pushing this bad uh narrative and the negative ones. yeah and star wars star wars is good y'all star wars is good and hopefully we were good so go leave us a rating and review uh just shoot us a picture at clashing sabers network at gmail.com or over on twitter at clashing sabers and you will be entered into that contest you also can now text us or leave us a voicemail we have a phone number because we're all cool like that and also it's like 20 19 and you can have like as many phone numbers as you want basically uh our phone number 832-966-0077 you see how i did that 77 at the end close out just uh kind of my my spiel here uh youtube we are on youtube now so if you prefer to listen to the podcast on youtube uh we're over there Lindsay, go
Uh, you can find me at Full Force Lindsay on Instagram, or you can head over to Twitter and get me at Miss Lindsay G. M S Lindsay G. Cool. So until next time, when we come back, and are we gonna we're gonna do certain point of view? Speaking of being professional, we're gonna figure out what our next show is. Yeah, on the air. we did. Yeah, I think we I think we decided we would do kind of the key stories there. All right, not well, all of them. That would be forever. I listened to the book this time. I suffered through it again, so at least it was worth something. So our next episode will be. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm not gonna lie. Our next episode is probably gonna be Master and Apprentice. Yeah, I think this that's is coming out. So next episode, Master and Apprentice. See, guys, we're professionals. We're professionals. Yeah. And then- I will say, too, if you are like Brandon and want to avoid any spoilers, of course, we won't be putting anything major from Celebration. That would be a spoiler. Um, but definitely, you know, I'm sure we are going to keep track of both mine and Mark's adventures while we're at Celebration over on all of our uh, social media platforms. So definitely check that out for all the good stuff from Celebration next week. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be... Uh- Facebook will probably be the easiest place to get there, but I will uh, repost that on Twitter and hopefully be able to get it up on YouTube pretty quickly also. So until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.